Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Leah Walsh, and this is Rosette, the podcast. folks thanks for joining us with rosette the podcast which you have stumbled across which we thank you for it's leah here and i've actually got a special treat for you today because you've been so kind and patiently listening to my voice natter on that i've got a guest to discuss with me the fifth principle of fair trade today this is eli hey folks and eli who are you well, uh, in terms of fair trade, I guess uh, I'm a consumer of fair trade goods. Cool. Um, but in terms of my connection to you, for transparency, I am your house spouse. Yes. Eli is my partner, and he has graciously agreed to break the monotony with me today and uh, give a second voice to the podcast. So that's cool. Um, and we're going to talk about the fifth principle of fair trade, which is um, really uh, related to Eli's favorite thing, which is children and um, <laughs> and the protection of children's rights. Not that he wants kids in you know sweatshops, but um, wh- how would you describe your relationship with children, Eli? I think they're interesting and they slightly terrify me. Yep. There we are. The terrifying thing I kind of saw coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't dislike kids, uh, but I'm not the most comfortable around them. But I am told that they like me a lot. It's uh, it's kind of like cats, I think. Yes. Yeah. They smell the fear and they're like, oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So the actual principle itself that I'm going to tell you about is it's it says ensuring no child labor or forced labor, which sounds pretty, pretty good. I think, I think most people are like, okay, that's, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) So I I hope it's not too controversial a topic today, but uh, basically in a nutshell, what the principal is trying to do is make sure that like, well, that you're basically not like trafficking humans and stuff. I think in, in fair trade 101, I was really talking a lot about the cocoa industry and stuff, but like, also there's other ways to, to have like forced labor and so on. Yeah. Yeah. There's can be coercive sort of things like when uh, people are brought to a place and their identity or yeah, passport, like when their passport and things are removed and yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Labor is one of the, you know, there's a really cool podcast that Eli actually put me onto originally called You're Wrong About, and they did a whole thing on uh, human trafficking. And You're Wrong About does a lot of like debunking of things. And what they were debunking was not so much that like human trafficking doesn't exist, but it was more that human trafficking in the way that people are most like afraid of is not, doesn't exist at the scale that, that we think it does. So it's like, you know, we're afraid that people are getting like trafficked into the sex trade, for example, but like the numbers are actually incredibly low domestically, like in the United States and Canada and so on. And that like what really accounts for the vast majority of human trafficking nowadays is actually labor. Like not that, not that sex work isn't work, but it's like hard manual labor and things like that. So yeah, 
that's a good that's a really good point and you can you can just like take someone's passport away and then they're just stuck like in another country or whatever which is often what happens so yeah it um, can happen in the fields of domestic work or uh i've heard of it happening in um building labor but i mean most relevant to our conversations is agricultural work yeah tons of agricultural workers are not really working uh with their will and we i mean we can talk to we can talk about consenting to work under capitalism and stuff but like but there is certainly a degree of it right like there are there are people who work because they have to but there are people who work because they love it like you for example you love your job <laughs> i got a good job i must say but yeah there's different degrees of it too right like there's the people who are woefully underpaid right um but feel like that is their only option right right they're making pennies a day and then there's the ones just straight up just are abducted and not making any money. So. Right. Yeah. So this standard is really talking about trying to avoid that kind of stuff. And when you have these kinds of standards applied to something and then you have a product that has like the label on it, then that's sort of like, I guess, in reward for them, like doing things properly. Because last episode, we talked about the payment of a fair price. And that, again, is really crucial for this, right? Because, like, of course, you're going to traffic labor if you can't afford to pay labor. Yeah. Um, or you're going to, like, really, really, really underpay your employees. But making sure that you have the the resources available to do that, that's pretty crucial, too. So, so yeah, the gist, of, the gist of the principle is basically you can't have any forced labor at all. That's just not allowed. Doesn't matter if it's a grown-up. It doesn't matter if it's a kid. Like, you just can't force people to work. And that's where trafficking comes in. It's like you have to be able to, like, employ people who are willing to be employed in the position and you have to be transparent about like what that position is because you can't consent to working if you're told one thing and another thing is true so that's like that's like a thing under the fair trade principles is like you just can't force people to work and the other half of it is you can't um, have child labor and they're more specific in the principle about it than just no child labor and i want to read it verbatim because i think it's interesting it says the organization adheres to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and national slash local law on the employment of children. So that's like the actual like statement. And I think it's interesting that it doesn't say like children cannot ever do anything. What it says is that children, if involved, you need to disclose that. And mm. I think that's an important distinction. A lot of people, like when I used to stand at a table and stuff, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, I grew up on a farm and it didn't hurt me to, you know, come home from school and help my dad feed the animals or like whatever. And I think that is true. <laughs> and uh, I think the key difference is that you were coming home from school and doing that and you know you like it wasn't interfering sort of with your development and i think that's why they frame it that way it's like it's not that you can't have children participating at all you just have to be transparent about how those kids are participating and you have to make sure their needs are met first yeah on farms it's not uncommon for you to get your kids involved and be like all right well before you go off to school you gotta um, i don't know feed the chickens or I right. guess if we're talking more about uh, produce in the fair trade, it's like you got to water the crops or whatever, you know? Yeah. And that makes it part of, <laughs> as part of how farmers have made it work, right? Is <laughs> a little bit of labor from their children. <laughs> That's true. And and really, there's nothing wrong with with kids participating. It's really when you have like the the 
I read something interesting that it was like, there are two reasons why work is not appropriate for children. The first is that the child is just too young to be working at all. And the second is that the type of work is not appropriate for the child. And so like there's there's certain types of work that are really more appropriate for grown-ups and one of those like I gave an ex- in, as an example in probably the hmm I'm not sure maybe transparency episode but it was like sending a kid up a tree with a machete to cut down cocoa pods is a bad idea because yeah, a no. 9-year-old cannot wield a machete safely that has nothing to do with how much the kids getting paid or anything yeah, you don't even want a kid necessarily dealing with uh, kitchen knives at nine year old, let alone, you know, right. a sword-like object. <laughs> sword-like object is maybe going to be the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so basically the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, I'm going to get a little bit more into, but sort of the summary um, of like how that fits into the into the fair trade principle is that if it doesn't follow the convention, then that's no good. <laughs> so you don't get to you don't get to call yourself fair trade. And to be clear, like that distinction between like Canadian farm kids, you know, coming home from school and like milking the cow or whatever and farm kids abroad, like those are often very different things because it's really like these are people who like the children are laborers. <laughs> They're not just like kind of helping here and there or whatever. So the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child is from 1989, and it's something that was put forth with the radical notion that children are not the property of their parents or adults in training, but rather human beings. Shocking. (laughs) Who would have thought? Also, it's both surprising and alarming at the same time that that's a 1989 thing, right? Like... (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, that feels recent because uh, I thought we kind of agreed on that before. But at the same time, it's like, man, it's been around for a while. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. So under the convention, they say that a child is anyone under 18 unless the age of majority is lower uh, in a, a certain country. So like, oh, for example, like Vietnam, six. the age of majority is 16. And that's that age is not to be confused with. There's a lot. So there's tons of ages defined in like federal laws. So like there's like age of consent, age of like smoking and drinking and things like that. Um, but the age of majority, for those who don't know, is like when you are considered an adult. So at that point, for example, you wouldn't need to have like a parent sign a consent form to do something that kids can't do on their own or whatever, right? So like getting a medical procedure or something until the age of majority, you would have to get the sign off from the parents because you're not allowed to make certain like life altering decisions on your own before that age. I was going to say, typically, I think age of majority also tends to go hand in hand of age of when you can vote, right? Doesn't it? Yes, I think I think it tends to, yeah, it tends to be a similar age. Although, of course, with voting, you have all the other stuff that that goes with it, where like you might not be able to vote because you're in this or that or the other group, whereas age of majority is completely universal in that uh, in that territory. So, like, for example, in the States, you can't vote if you're a convicted felon. Yeah. Yeah. So like the age of majority doesn't affect that, though. You know, like if just because you're you're an ex-con doesn't mean you can't like get your heart surgery without a parent's signing off or anything <laughs> but like, true, true. but it's yeah it's but but yes the the age, the age does tend to to coincide in in voting and stuff because yeah they don't want kids voting so as soon as you're not a kid anymore then you're allowed to vote okay so the thing about the un convention is that 
and I think this is really interesting. It's actually the most widely ratified UN convention in history. And basically every member of the UN ratified it except the states, which I find really interesting. By ratified, you mean they agreed to it. So I'm not sure what the distinction between ratifying and signing it is. I think signing is more like you agree to it and ratifying is like actually incorporating it into the legislation. Um, which is something that Canada did in like 1990 because it was like 89 that this came out. So like we updated our laws to protect children as like a, as humans, as people, as individuals, I guess. So I think that's the distinction, but I could be wrong. I'm looking at a dictionary definition. So the dictionary definition is sign or give formal consent to treaty, contract, or agreement, making it officially valid. That's so fascinating. So the sources that I was reading, they they made a distinction between signing and ratifying. So in this particular case, there has to be some kind of distinction between those two things. The states did sign it, but they didn't ratify it. That is the distinction they made. Interesting. Yeah, I'm also seeing other things here that ratifying also includes um, giving like some sort of form or statement that you uh, that you agree to be bound by the decision. So okay. that could be it. That's got to be it. Yeah. Okay. So thank you, Beb. You are my expert Googler for when I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's aimed mostly at governments. And the suggestion there is that like, if the government is agreeing to it, they're hoping that like overall it will be observed. Um, So that doesn't mean that just because it's aimed at governments that like, you know, private companies don't have to do anything. And it says basically that children have the right to all forms of well-being like adults. So like emotional, physical, intellectual, social, political, all of those different things that kids are allowed to have them. So that's all the boring background legal stuff, but like sort of in terms of examples of like why that has to happen, because we kind of vaguely discussed it around like trafficking and like, you know, having young people who uh, maybe are really low income and need like the work or what have you. But here's some like more concrete examples examples, which, you know, I think Eli's going to really enjoy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's abuses of children in like really common abuses of children in a number of different industries involved with fair trade, like where there is a fair trade presence, I guess I'll say. Um, so one of them is manufacturing and mm. manufacturing is like a broad industry. I'm going to also separately discuss the garment industry because boy, howdy. <laughs> But uh, but manufacturing, one of the main problems actually with child labor and manufacturing, a major, I guess, commodity is uh, shoes and soccer balls. Mm. And the reason that I, I specifically single these things out is because children are not just like used because they're like easy bait or they're like they're easy to get your hands on or anything like that. They're used. They're actually preferred because of their small hands. So like in the soccer ball manufacturing industry, you have these little, are they hexagons or are they octagons? I don't know, but they're like these little like shapes with all the flat sides, right? And they've got to like perfectly sew together into like all the other ones that are the same shape. And when you get to the end, you've got this like ball with one little octagon or whatever left out. And in order to sew that in, you have to have like either a specialized tool or like little hands. And so little hands are preferred. One of the top soccer ball manufacturers in the world is Pakistan, and they don't have great protections for for this in Pakistan. And so 
it's actually a really significant issue. So if you're getting a soccer ball, one of those like traditional soccer balls that has like the sewn um, like patches of leather to make up the outside, you're really gonna, you're gonna have a, a good chance that your soccer ball was made in a, essentially a sweatshop by a, like a, a seven-year-old kid. So fair trade soccer balls are a thing. Um, there's a great company called Volo Athletics in, uh, I want to say BC, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's in Canada. Um, and you can get your soccer balls from there. So like if you're a, a, you know, a school sporting group or anything like that, I really recommend checking that out. And shoes, of course, because sometimes you have to get right into the, like the toe of a shoe or something. And of course the small hands are are useful for that. So like, it's just kind of like a, like a, a grossly practical <laughs> reason to exploit children. So that one always I, gets me. I went to school with someone, we were actually in a French class, and she revealed that when she was young, and uh, I believe they were actually newcomers to Canada at the time, she worked in a sweatshop with her mother putting the drawstrings into hoodies. Oh, gosh. Yeah. In Canada, eh? Yeah. 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 Well, that ties into what, so we spoke with Erin Bird from Fairtrade Calgary and she was saying, yeah, like you can have migrant workers and new Canadians being exploited in Canada. It doesn't have to be elsewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. So we need to clean up our act as well. This is not just sort of putting everyone else on blast. Um, Yeah. Our, like our uh, standards are typically better, but there are definitely gray spots where enforcement and oversight misses it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, And the second chunk of that, so manufacturing in the garment industry specifically, one of the main demographics that's working in the garment industry, I don't know if you can guess it. One of the main demographics that work in the garment industry? Wasn't it women? Yeah, women. Well, young women, teenage girls. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Teenage girls are the main are the main source of uh, labor in the the garment industry overseas. I would say primarily, mm-hmm. um, probably like if we're in Canada, it probably would be largely women, but they might be of age, like grown women. But they did a, a study in India, and in, I think it was 2020, and they found that 60% of garment factory workers were under were under 18. So those, those workers started most of them at around 15. Mm. So they're like quite young girls and their, their working conditions were not great. Um, And the reason, the reason that there's so many of these girls is that it's very similar to what you were describing before. They come to these families that are really, really poor and they say to them, Hey, we got good work for your daughter. You know, she'll make lots of money if you send her with us. And so they do, but then she gets there of course, and it's a sweatshop and she doesn't make any money worth a hoot. Now this, this family's daughter has basically been coerced into, into working in a place that's nothing like what she was promised. And the working conditions obviously are not very good either. So that's, that's not exciting. <laughs> that's not exciting at all. This is, I, so, so when I laugh, it's a nervous laugh, just so everyone knows I'm not like a monster who's like, bah! <laughs> isn't it funny that these people are being abused? Um, it's really like a sort of like, Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was watching a documentary some time ago. I wish I could remember the name, but it was about fast fashion, essentially. Yeah. And uh, in if you don't mind if I describe the kind of problems with these working conditions. Sure. Uh, poor ventilation is a big one, and uh, and it's very hot, so dehydration is an issue. People don't often realize that the fabrics they get are treated with chemicals, and sometimes they're freshly treated or those people are, have to apply the chemicals at the garment 
factories and they're not given proper protective wear and so they'll end up with like chemical burns yeah um yeah and then yeah it's just it's a it's hard work it's hard on your body there's a lot of standing and bending so repetitive motion injuries are common um if you're forced to work very long hours it increases your chances of cutting injuries like from using the knives or the shears on the fabric um possibly issues with the machinery that they use um yeah 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 that tracks and and if you're sort of earlier in the process if you're like along the the supply chain of the actual cotton um Mm. it is so hazardous to work with so once they're like in the process of spinning and like actually removing the cotton from the buds that it grows on on the plant the tiny particles get in your lungs like nobody's business and you have to have an incredibly specific kind of mask to avoid having that enter your lungs and give you really bad breathing problems and so there's definitely tons and tons of hazards along the line of uh of making clothing and when you so the other thing that i had here is um even earlier in cotton fields um it's totally normal in like poorer countries for lack of a better term the example they gave was benin which is where my celebrity crush Jimon Hanzu is from by the way um (laughs) it's uh it's common for small children to pollinate cotton by hand in the fields for like hours a day so they just go along the rows and they they hand pollinate the cotton plants but these are like children like like small children that do this like from the like if they can walk and understand the instructions they're doing it so they're like five six they're very small children that that do this and it's completely normal it's just totally normalized because these are really um as i say these are these are poor folks and they don't have a lot of like financial options and so they use every bit of labor they have access to including small children is it again one of those issues where it's like the tiny hands thing is better for it is or like their height maybe yeah i i get the impression that that is it as well and and just the fact that it doesn't take a ton of skill yeah you know if you're like say you're weeding or something if you're like pulling things out of the ground or you're like like trying to use a tool or something you might need a certain amount of strength well you don't need any kind of strength to pollinate you're just like rubbing things up in the you know in the sex parts of the plant basically (laughs) so Yeah. So, and, and similar to the, the girls in the factories, they're getting exposed to chemicals Yeah. because this cotton is sprayed. Cotton is one of the most heavily sprayed crops in the world. Some of the, some of the chemicals they use on it are very, very nasty, super toxic. So basically these little babies are going along the rows and touching these chemical laden plants. And so it's really bad. And of course, as you say, like dehydration is a a risk because this is not cotton in Norway. They're growing it in Benin. They're growing it in India. They're growing it in like really hot places and they're just walking in the sun for hours. So, but anyway, that's all the, that's all the sad stuff. (laughs) That's all the sad stuff. That's the stuff we don't want. We want to like prevent that stuff. So that's why they put the principle in place. I know I've probably depressed you, but the good thing is that all the fair trade products, they don't have that stuff going on. So that's, I guess, the the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. I guess like people, people want some kind of solution. So I guess the solution is fair trade. Yeah. Is the gist of it. Like, I don't know what else to tell people because like this stuff is so common that like there aren't really guarantees otherwise, you know, yeah. it would be nice if like, I've been doing at fair trade advocacy now for like a decade and 
something that over and over colleagues and I have like said to each other is that like people should be required to disclose the abuses. It should mm-hmm. go the other way. It's like this shirt was made by children <laughs> or like, you know, it would be great if like that was required as opposed to like now we have a fair trade movement, which is, you know, doing lots of great work and stuff. But like the thing is that with fair trade products, like you can feel good about a fair trade product. But there are probably other products out there that haven't gone through the process that are doing great work too, but they don't have the symbols. So you don't know because it's so common for these types of abuses to happen when they're not actually fair trade products. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's sad. (laughs) And that's the lesson from today's podcast is that the world is sad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the thing I think people don't realize is that, um, there is intentionally built in ignorance to some of these big manufacturers who benefit from the slave labor. So uh, since we're on this topic, chocolate companies, I won't name specific ones, but they'll all, but if someone asks them, do you use slave labor? The typical answer would be like, well, you know, we don't know the exact places that our cocoa comes from. So as far as we know, or we believe, we do not use slave labor. Because, yeah, because the chain is like, it starts, you know, in the field with the farmer who, you know, may or may not use child labor, slave labor. And then there's a dude at a port or somewhere who collects the cocoa from this person, right? And they're the ones who has the contact with the companies, whereas the companies never see the farmers, really. That's right. Yeah. And and the thing is, like, they always have. So I am, you know what? I am going to name one name. There's one name that made me real mad, which is, I want to say around 2010, Cadbury decided to certify their dairy milk fair trade certified with yeah. Fair Trade International. And I was over the moon. I was so excited. And a few years later, the fair trade certified mark disappeared from the packages. And now they have something called like Cocoa Project, or I don't even remember what it's called, but it's like it's some other symbol that they've put on their on their product that is basically a watered down version of fair trade Mm. and the reason i'm willing to name this name is because that made me really mad because they're still trying to reap all the benefits of having some kind of like ethical cocoa certification that is self-administered by the way it's not a third party certification it's literally just them saying let's make up a logo and put it on the the product because we think we're doing good work they they do that and they're trying to reap all the benefits of having fair trade certification without actually going through the process and so this is not a case of a company for example not being able to afford the licensing fee it's not a case of a company not being able to make it through the process because they went through the process and they just decided meh this is costing too much we're missing profits, this, that, the other, whatever, whatever they decided. And they decided to not have that certification anymore. And that made me really angry. So you do see that like these, these companies will like take something that is, they can tell that people are starting to care Mm -hmm. that people don't want kids, you know, hacking off these cocoa pods off the trees 
and they're saying, oh, okay, well, how do we like placate people? And how do we tell people that we're good without saying things that are patently false? Mm-hmm. And how they do that sometimes is just by coming up with like Coco Club or whatever the heck they called it. Yeah, I think you could do a whole episode on fair washing, to be honest. So, for example, I was talking to someone about fair trade coffee and how I personally prefer to buy fair trade coffee. So this person's like, I have this coffee. And they're like, oh, uh, well, it's got this certification on it. And it was something like Rainforest Alliance, which like, I think I looked it up and it didn't really seem to mean a lot. Like it was really hard to find information on it. And so, yeah, often you'll find that these certifications are self governed by the companies, Um, but they look and sound good, but there's no outside oversight on them. So totally like fair trade has oversight. That is part of the accountability of fair trade. We talked about transparency and accountability. Like that is a key component to fair trade is that you are accountable to somebody or you're held responsible by somebody, which is a third party, which is not the same as something like direct trade. Yeah, direct trade is that popular buzzword that people use. And like, yes, it's probably better because it does, as I say, cut out that middleman uh, side of things. Um, So the producer, so let's say a coffee roaster in particular, you know, they go to the farm and they get the beans from the farm or someone directly involved in the business here in Canada has had contact with the farm and they do often sit they pay a fair fairer or above average market price but still we don't know whether they have checked out the premises to see that there's no abuse abusive work practices happening or poor environmental practices happening the whole point of fair trade as a licensing organization movement is that there's someone outside both the farmer and the seller overviewing and determining whether it is fair. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly true. The thing about um, direct trade as like sort of this idea that it substitutes fair trade, it just completely falls apart when you look at brands like Level Ground who have been doing direct fair trade for decades. They're they're like 20 mm-hmm. years old as a company and they've been directly trading and fair trade for all of that time. And the two are not the same. And if you ask Level Ground, they would say the two are not the same because, you know, they have to go through a separate process to be... Uh, verified through uh, the Fair Trade Federation for their fruit and Fair Trade International for their coffee. Now it was Fair Trade Federation for all of it until recently, but good for them. They kind of, I feel it's a bit of an upgrade for like an agricultural commodity when you go to Fair Trade International because they have the really strict agricultural standards. Um, so good for them for for making that switch. I think that's a really positive move. But they have to go through a completely different process. To, yeah. to do the fair trade side of things than to just have a direct trade relationship with their partners. And they would be the first to tell you that, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to circle back to the original premise of the conversation, the principle about not having child laborers. This might be a funny thing to say, but for those who have never thought about or considered why it's not appropriate for children to be working, I think the thing that you have to understand is that we always want what is better 
for children than what their parents had or something like that, right? So we want children to have the opportunities to get educated so that they can be more financially better off than their parents were, right? Like, is that not the point of? Yeah. 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 Yeah, we want children to have opportunities. We want children to be able to go to school and possibly have opportunities that their parents did not. That's absolutely true. And more so, I think, in, in areas where that's not a given, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, there's a there's a great video on our YouTube for the Rosette Network about uh, there's uh, Segundo and his his baby who is not a baby anymore. He's now in university. But Segundo has been um, on this this farm for for generations and his his i think youngest son became an agricultural engineer he went off to university and he you know because of the fair trade uh like the extra money coming in from the fair trade agreement that they had with their their buyers and everything that they were able to afford to send him off to college and so he got a degree in engineering um environmental engineering and so he's able now to come back to the cooperative and be like oh you're doing this all wrong and like teach everybody about like how to improve their yields and all of that stuff which is just fascinating and like so great but what we see otherwise is that a lot of young people they're seeing their parents break their backs doing this stuff and they're saying you know what i don't want to be a farmer i when i grow up i'm gonna do something totally different and they they leave farming and that's a big problem <laughs> as yeah. a world that is that is like really depending on agriculture to survive it is a big problem when these young kids are saying i'm seeing how hard my parents are working that's not for me i'm going to become something completely different we are going to not have chocolate and uh, coffee and bananas and these like warm climate crops anymore if that continues i think that's really important actually and a very important point how fair trade benefits us or benefits children, not necessarily in this direct idea of them not working, but if you can set a good example for a child that can see that farming or production can be profitable slash, or maybe not profit, if you're not thinking about profit, but like lead to a good life, then that will encourage future generations of farmers because we have had that problem here in Canada and the you know the United States Western world in general in that people uh were mistreated in the past and their children are like that is not the life I want and so everyone started going towards more like intellectual is not the right word higher education kind of jobs more servicey more intellectual and stuff And now we struggle to find farmers. That's why we have that, you know, immigrant farmers and stuff like that, immigrant workers in agriculture who now suffer the abuses that that our parents and grandparents, great grandparents did. But like, if that's right. Yeah, that that is a perfect example of one of the benefits for these kids, because what you do see is that there's a much higher rate of kids in fair trade cooperatives taking up the family business. Yeah. There's a, I think it was in 2020, maybe um, every year, fair trade Canada for fair trade month, they put out these uh, resources for people to share on social media and stuff. And it's like, there's like producer photos and like 
all of these different things. And there was this young girl and I can't now remember her name, but she was, I think she was 15. And what she had done, because her family was on one of these cooperatives and she had really shown an interest in learning how to grow things is she had saved up her allowance essentially and bought a tiny chunk of the farm from her parents. And she was now like a, a, a small holder, like farming lady at like 15 because she was like this is something I'm super jazzed about continuing and so like these are the kinds of stories you get out of fair trade cooperatives where you yeah as you as you say you see that it can be a good life as opposed to just backbreaking labor where Mm. you get no money for it then yeah these kids are sticking around at a much much higher rate and that's good for everybody yeah and I want to be clear I did mention migrant workers and I am not anti people who are migrants who are workers that's correct problem is (laughs) <laughs> with the exploitive practices that can happen work um that's all yeah and i think like it's important to remember that like in not just agriculture but in many industries we see that there is going to be a disproportionate effect on people of color and people who are new to the area as well um there's yeah. a there's a brand in the states i want to say it's it's a clothing brand. I can't remember which one it is, so I don't want to name one, but there's a clothing brand that says like made in USA and like very much like sort of like presenting themselves as like fair trade because it's made in the USA. And I had a friend in university who was like working for them at the time and so excited about like how great the ethics were of this, this brand and everything. And she had been through the company able to visit their factory in California. And she went in there and she said to herself oh man there's not a white person in sight in here um and she like as a person of color herself was like really really upset at just sort of like how how great an opportunity is this if none of the middle class white kids want to work here if none of the like, you know, and she was, and she really had a lot of questions after that. And, and, you know, that's the reality is that oftentimes it's going to disproportionately affect people of color. And so when you walk into a place like that, and there's like not a white person in sight, and it's like, like a hard labor kind of situation, you really got to ask those questions. Yeah. How well are these people being treated? Yeah. That also reminds me of these ads with the fancy jingles you see every spring summer about grown in Ontario it's like oh grown in Ontario like have you ever seen those yeah and and in these ads the visuals are always like these like wholesome old white farmers um and these those people probably own the land but what you don't see is the the people that they have who are from other countries typically I think from Mexico and, and South America I believe who have come up to work over the summer and who may or may not be living in really like poor conditions. So, yeah. And just, just with like no job security, right. Because like that, it's just, it's absolutely a short-term gig that they have. And they they are there not out of the goodness of someone's heart. They are there because as migrants, they can be paid less than people who are locals. Yeah. And they yeah. are generally paid less. And I think there's rules that there has to be housing provided, but there has been a lot of cases in the, the past few years even where people have caught um, the owners of the farmland um, mistreating people and putting them in unsanitary uh, living conditions. Yeah. So 
Yeah. And like, like the oversight becomes really important again, like it's all back to oversight. You know, people, people have problems with bureaucracy and this and that, but like really the oversight is so important. And just like further to your point, I have a buddy who I used to volunteer with um, uh, at uh, Fairtrade Ottawa. Um, and he was talking about wine and we were, we were discussing, you know, cause, cause fair trade and local don't really overlap a lot. You know, you no. can't get local bananas or local coffee. Well, you can get yeah. a, a roaster can be local, but you can't grow the beans in, in Canada. Yeah. And so basically we were saying, well, there's not that much overlap. And he said, well, there's wine. And I mm. said to him, well, but I mean, wine grown in like Ontario or whatever, like Southern Ontario, because we're in Ottawa. That's the nearest uh, region. I know that in BC, they have some beautiful wine vineyards and stuff, but um, Niagara region, Southern Ontario. Ontario. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really it's that's really the only place we can grow the, the grapes properly and stuff. And so he had gone to Southern Ontario, who was doing a tour of like a vineyard in the Niagara region. And he said that the guide was like, oh, yeah, and here's like where the vines grow and uh they're like our such and such crop for like this wine that we're working on or whatever and then over there past there you can see the housing for the migrant workers and he was like oh oh right <laughs> and it just sort of dawned on him in that moment he was like this is not a somewhere else kind of thing this is an everywhere thing yeah yeah, yeah absolutely anyway so that's i mean i think that's it in a nutshell I think that's, that's, you know, the don't force people to work and don't have child labor principle, yeah. the fifth principle of fair trade. The principles feed into each other and link to each other. Cause as you said, in the beginning, a fair price allows for people to hire people fairly with fair wages and treat them well. Right. So. Yeah. Provide that protection for the chemical application and like all of those things. Yeah. Like by paying someone fairly, you know, they don't have to resort to trafficking children. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Buy fair trade, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thing I do want to say though, I came in as a fair trade consumer. Leah introduced it into my life. And I want to say if you're new to fair trade, you're overwhelmed by the idea of switching to everything fair trade don't like focus too much on that pick one type of consumable in your house and do your best to only buy that fair trade so in our house it's coffee so all the coffee that i buy and bring into this house is fair trade and you could do that with chocolate clothing Hey, soccer balls, even just pick one thing because it's that it's like a cliche thing, but small steps, you know, are, are where it starts and a little bit goes a long way. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I saw a meme that was like, uh, we don't need a few people doing zero waste perfectly. We need a lot of people imperfectly doing zero waste. Oh, that's, um, yeah, that's yeah, and excellent. That's, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what you're getting at. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you kindly for joining me. Oh, no problem. Yeah, it's been fun chatting. And uh, the next principle we're going to be covering is the <laughs> the equity principle, the equity and organizing principle. So it's a actual full title that's not just me summarizing is commitment to non-discrimination, gender equity and women's economic empowerment and freedom of association. So it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's a really interesting and cool principle that 
who knows maybe i'll get eli to join me again on that one because you know he seems like he was a, a great guest today uh, i mean i maybe i haven't heard the podcast yet we'll see <laughs> <laughs> you'll see we'll see how i portray you in the edit <laughs> oh yeah editing is where all the magic happens right maybe yeah end up making me look like a villain <laughs> I only put the awkward laughs at like the worst part and it makes it sound like you you're like a, like gleefully cackling about the the child labor. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks a lot and thanks to all the listeners for joining us today and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye for now.